Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. And I think that's particularly useful to accountants because accountants, of course, have this position of trust through which they can be a phenomenal force for good in the world. Welcome to Epic Business Growth for CPAs. My name is Geraldine Carter, founder of She Thinks Big Coaching. This is the place to be if you're a CPA who wants to grow your accounting practice. Weekly episodes are full of strategies and action steps that create a clear path for growth without working harder. Time to get inspired and grow your business. It is my great pleasure to introduce today's guest. Officially the world's most highly rated advisor to accountants, Steve Pipe is a best-selling author, dynamic speaker, and founder of Accountants Changing the World and the AVN Association of Proactive UK Accountants. I wanted to interview Steve to talk with him about where he sees CPAs and accountants getting stuck in growing their own businesses, as well as to talk about his current path being a force for good in the world and inspiring and showing business owners and accountants how to do the same in their own businesses. Please welcome Steve Pipe. Steve Pipe, welcome to the Epic Business Growth for CPAs podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Geraldine. I'm so excited to have you on. There are are a lot of directions that we could go in today, but what we're going to talk about is the state of where, not the state of where CPAs are, but some of the common traps that CPAs fall into and how they might get out of them. And as they grow their business and their practices, how they can increase their impact, either at a community scale, local scale, or on upwards to a more global scale. So before we jump into that, though, why don't, in your own words, you give us a quick story of how you got to where you are, because you've had quite a journey. Well, I guess so. Yeah, I'm a 58-year-old now chartered accountant, married to an accountant, have three adult children, one of whom's a trainee accountant, the other two are married to accountants. Accountancy is you know, deep <laughs> in, in my veins. I love this profession. I, I qualified with KPMG. I was head of finance for 150 million turnover division of Kodak. I set up my own accounting business, sold that, set up my own consulting business, which we grew to a team of 50 people, 40 people. That was consulting exclusively with accountants in the UK, sold that on my 50th birthday to the management team. And for the last Eight years since then, I've been increasingly focused on the things I love. I've always done things I love, but the things I, I love, which are understanding what works for accountants, understanding what works for work, the world, understanding what works for business, 
writing about it and talking about it and creating tools, which I now give away freely to any accountant, any business, anywhere in the world to do those things. So that's where I've come from. And along the way, picked up a few awards and various things. But uh, the, the important thing is that you know, I believe passionately in this profession and through my research, I've got some interesting insights into what the profession can do, what the profession must do. Excellent. I love that. And just to call out some of your awards, I think UK's um, Entrepreneur of the Year Award, is that right? Yeah, uh, the uh, one of the, the, the leading trade magazines over here in the UK has a, an annual award scheme. Um, and I was the first ever winner of the UK Entrepreneur Year of the Award uh, through Accountancy Age. They then stopped that particular category. So I guess you could say all these years later, I'm still the reigning UK Entrepreneur of the Year because no one else has been given that title. But hey, it's just it's just a bit of glass sitting on the uh, the shelf over there. It doesn't really matter. It sounds to me like you're the one and only Entrepreneur of the Year. <laughs> that is one way of spinning it if you choose to. <laughs> and also the accountant with the most testimonials on LinkedIn. I'm really, really proud of that. Yeah. I mean, you used to be able to do a sort on LinkedIn that actually would, would put at the top of the list the people with, you could sort by a number of testimonials received. Um, and someone once did that for me and showed me that I was at the top of that list. Currently got about 520. I think the key to getting lots of testimonials on LinkedIn is actually twofold and it is a really enjoyable thing to do. It's great for your self-esteem, which is one of the issues I think we might choose to come back to. Um, but the key to getting loads of testimonials on LinkedIn is twofold. One, do lots of great, threefold actually, do lots of great things that people love, you know, help them a lot. Um, be kind and nice. And then when you've done great things and you've been kind and nice, when someone says, thank you, that was really kind of you, or that was really great of you, or thank you, that was really helpful, ask them if they wouldn't mind giving you a testimonial on LinkedIn because the overwhelming majority of people do. That's how I've got so many of those three things. I've tried to do a great job, tried to be kind and nice. And then when people have said, thank you, I said, well, would you mind giving me a testimonial on LinkedIn? Um, you know, LinkedIn testimonials are not a, per, you know, a perfect indication of whether someone is actually good or not. But, you know, increasingly we're all using things like TripAdvisor, aren't we, to, to judge restaurants and hotels and, and you know, tourist attractions. And if, a, if an attraction or a hotel or restaurant doesn't have many reviews, we draw a conclusion from that. Certainly if it doesn't have very many good reviews. Mm -hmm. Same sort of way, you know, if there's one accountant, leave me out of the equation, but if, if someone's choosing an accountant in, in Bozeman, let's say, and, you know, one of those accountants has got no recommendations, it says testimonials on LinkedIn or has got just a couple, and one's got 50 or 100 what are people likely to conclude about those two accountants? That one of them is probably better than the other is a conclusion. It may not be the truth, but it's a perception based on that stuff. So, um, you know, I think it's really important that that's one of the things that accountants do, do great work, be, be kind and helpful. And then when people say thank you, ask for testimonials. That was a, a distraction, but a sidetrack, but hopefully an interesting one. Well, I think it speaks to doing great work, right? Yeah. And one of the things you touched on in there that we were going to visit was accountants doing great work and having the confidence and believing in the quality of the great work and the value that they're providing. Yeah. And do it's so much more being successful in your business is so much more than simply just turning out a great compliance 1040, what have you schedule C and da, da, da. there's so much more to that. And I'm curious to know what your journey was in discovering what great work for clients actually is. Well, that's interesting. I've not been asked the question in, in that way before. So I, I started off as a, an, an audit trainee and then an audit manager in what is now KPMG. And, and so my skill set initially was all in that field of, of audit. Um, and 
Then our first child was born. She's now a 29-year-old young doctor here in the UK. And when Laura was born, within two weeks, I decided I didn't want to work stupid hours anymore for someone else. I wanted to hand in my notice. I wanted to be there with my my young family. And so I handed in my notice with my wife's permission. uh, And that started my completely different journey from the big blue chip environment of KPMG and also Kodak. Um, through to the, the, the small environment. Now, I decided to set up my own accounting practice, which I did, but I did, you know, it was six months after Laura was born, but I didn't have, as an auditor, any of the skills that were going to be useful to clients. I was never going to attract, win a single client in the UK as an auditor because actually the, the rules had just changed in the UK audit market and I wasn't even eligible to do audits, let alone even though it's the only thing I was, I was trained at. So I had to completely reskill. And what became, to, became apparent to me very quickly was that the small business clients, the startups, the very small businesses, the one-man bands, two- or three-person businesses that, that I was winning that were interested in talk, that were willing to talk to me as potential clients, yes, they wanted their accounts and tax affairs sorted out and filed with the, the, the tax authorities and so on. But actually, they wanted much more than that. They wanted their businesses, their little businesses, on which their entire family's livelihood depended, their family's entire financial future depended. They wanted those little businesses to be a bit more successful. Um, and the accountants they had been talking to up until that point had just really not helped with that at all. They're not taught the right kind of language. They're not done the right kind of analysis. They're not offered the right kind of help. So at that very early stage as a startup business, not being capable of doing audits, which not being allowed to do the only thing I was actually skilled for, I had to reskill myself. So I went out and read a lot of books around profit improvement for small businesses. You know, what can small businesses do to improve their sales, their profitability, their success? And I ended up having read 20 or 30 other people's books, I ended up writing my own book and extraordinarily got it published. That was back in the days when you couldn't just put your own book up on Amazon. So I got a proper publisher to publish it. It was called 101 Ways to Make More Profits. And it was they had it translated into 13 languages around the world because it seemed to sort of hit the spot, which was you know punchy, bite-sized, plain English, ready to understand practical advice for small businesses to help them tackle the obvious things that they weren't doing right or weren't doing at all in their businesses and do something about them to make those businesses a little bit more successful and one little idea at a time, the cumulative effect, the combined effect of which often would lead to quite significant improvements in the underlying success profits of the business and therefore in the family's finances. And that was the other thing that that I really learned at that point is that for many small businesses, whilst technically there's a distinction between the business and its profit and loss account and balance sheet and the family, for all practical purposes, those things are so interlinked, they are so dependent on each other, that if we just, as accountants, bookkeepers, advisors, focus on the, the business issues, the business financial issues, we actually miss something which is even more important. If, if, if you sit down with any client, this is my experience, and I asked the question many, many times, you sit down with any client and you ask them, ultimately in the final analysis, which is more important to you, your business or your family? They will always say family. And therefore, why is it that we as accountants focus almost all of our effort on the thing that is actually less important to them, the business, and practically no effort whatsoever on the thing which is fundamentally more important to them, their family's finances? And given that those two things are intertwined, and given that the skills that we have um, you know, can, can easily be crossed over between those two, so that's increasingly... Um, 
where I began to focus on helping businesses become more successful and helping the people behind those businesses understand and make better decisions around their personal finances. Now, I have never been uh, a financial advisor in the sense, you know, in regulated work around pensions, investments, don't have any of those skills, never have any of those qualifications, never strayed into any of those fields. What I'm talking about is much more basic, much more rudimentary, uh, much simpler than that. And one of the things that I found was the most useful that I could do for my clients at all was to sit down with them and help them produce a balance sheet for their family. You know, as an accountant, as bookkeepers, accountants, we always produce balance sheets for their businesses, which has some of their assets and liabilities, those ones which are sort of artificially in the business environment. But the business is just one of the assets, or if they're unlucky, liabilities that they own. They've got a whole load of other assets and liabilities as well. If we were to draw up a, a balance sheet for the family, you know, taking a man and wife, husband, and man, whatever the two partners are, wherever those assets lie, and have a, a you know, combined balance sheet for the family unit. Because, of course, the, the, the family's financial future is going to be bedrocked in that balance sheet and where it go, what it goes on to become in, 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 over the 20, 30, 50 years ahead of them. If we take that, that personal balance sheet, and if we couple that with a, a set of forecasts that open take the, the balance sheet today as the starting point and roll it forward one year. I'm really just talking about a spreadsheet with opening balances from the, the balance sheet now, one column for each year going right the way through to retirement and beyond retirement through to maybe 100. Let's say, hope we all live that long. <laughs> and look and you know the ins and outs, the income, the receipts, the, the payments, the expenditure, showing the net position and how that moves over time. I promise you that when you do that for a, for a, a small business, Pennies drop, things come into focus, issues are identified, problems are identified often, but at least they're identified now whilst we can still do something about it. You know, most of the time, the numbers don't stack up. Most of the time, they haven't got a successful enough business to generate enough income to give them the life they want to live. Most of the time, they're not managing you know, their investments well enough to top that up. Most of the time, they're unrealistic about where they'll be on retirement and therefore the, the sort of levels of income and lifestyle they'll be able to live beyond that. And, and when you start identifying this with them, their motivation to do something, because doing something you know, to improve the profits of the business, for example, is not just about this artificial thing called the profits of my business this year. It actually is it's shaping the whole of the rest of their life. Oh, well, in that context, I'm much more likely to do something about it, aren't I? It's shaping my ability to retire when I choose to. It's shaping my ability to go on the holidays I want to do, to take that gap year I want to do, to set my kids up with education or a starter home or some other kind of help or whatever. It's shaping my ability to do all of those things. And yet most accountants never go there. They never go there with the analysis. They never go there with the advice. When you start identifying those issues, suddenly you've got clients who sit up, take notice, and want more from you. They want help from the person that's just identified the problem, just identified the issues. They're relieved that finally they've got to begin to get a handle, even if, it's, even if it's not, even if the numbers aren't telling them what they wanted to hear, it's what they need to hear, and it's what they need to know in order to start to make things better. So you know, my, my journey uh, w- was really around that. And, and I, I, I tell you, I'll give you an example of so I think for me, as back in the day when I was running my accounting business, the single most important, valuable, worthwhile piece of work I ever did 
was for a, a then 50-year-old called Ken. Uh, Ken was um, working in an industry, the print industry, where um, you know, technology had overtaken his skills. He had been phenomenally good, but it, computers had come along and the things he used to do with his hands um, you know, just weren't needed anymore. And he had to try and adapt to this whole new world of computers and it did his head in. And he was getting really ill, having to go into work every day. He was an employee in someone else's business. So he was getting you know, really stressed, really ill, actually, by the fact that you know, he couldn't cope with the new technological challenges and pressures. Um, and, and I sat down with Ken and said, well, why don't you retire? Um, and he said, well, I, I can't afford to. I was in his mid-50s, actually. Can't afford, younger than I am now, can't afford to retire, Stephen. Um, and uh, so I said, well, okay, let's actually look at the numbers. We did a personal balance sheet, and they were sitting on, you know, we're living in really rather a nice house because property prices in the outskirts of London had gone up, and so there's quite a lot of capital in the house. Um, we, we then did one of these set of forecasts right the way through to when he was likely to be 95 or so, and I was able to show to him that with the, the, the levels of expenditure, the kind of lifestyle that him and his wife wanted to, his wife's Joe, uh, him and his wife wanted to live, the numbers stacked up. They were not going to run out of money. He could stop working now. He didn't have to go through that stress. The whole of the rest of his life could be happy, and the, the money side of it was already taken care of by the things I'd already done. Now, I, I double-checked and rechecked those numbers many, many times. I'll tell you why in a second. And, and ultimately, he took... You know, he, he didn't initially believe it, but ultimately thought, I've got to do this. So he actually handed in his notice. Now, what I didn't say before is that Ken and Joe were my mum and dad. And so this really, really mattered. They weren't paying me for this advice. This was a piece of advice that I, as a loving son, gave them. This was a bit of analysis that was so important that I did it for my parents. I mean, why the heck we wouldn't do this for our clients as well? But I did it for my parents. They, it completely changed their lives. Dad was able to stop working and got well again. He wasn't stressed. And they enjoyed, you know, another uh, 15, many, many happy years together. So I think that's the most valuable thing I've ever done for anybody as an accountant. And actually, all it took was a bit of spreadsheeting skills. I had no, you know, I, I, any accountant in the world could have done that. And this is the point. Every accountant in the world should be doing that for their clients, should do it for themselves first to get a sense of it. And then once they created some templates and so on for themselves, do it with their clients. It's such an easy thing to do. It's such a powerful thing to do. And it opens up a whole new set of conversations, a whole new set of advice areas that the client might want to focus on. In dad's case, the advice was simply stop work. He was never paying me anyway. So, you know, that was great advice. But in other businesses' cases, you know, stopping work is not an option. It's not the issue either. The, the, opt, the, the issue might be we need to make this business more profitable. We need to drive down our tax bills a bit more. We need to improve the efficiencies. We need to put in technology so we're working fewer hours. It's not going to kill us along the way. These are all things that accountants can help with. And that personal finance approach really helps focus the business owner on why that matters. It's not just about profits in the business, but it's about the shape of their entire life. You know, we can make a profound difference as accountants but mostly we don't. Why not? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think much of it comes back to the fact that, and, and I speak more from experience here in the UK because I'm a UK accountant. I've spent 20 years working predominantly with UK accountants. So I understand the profession here, but I think from everything I've seen when I've traveled to the States and, and beyond, it applies equally elsewhere. 
I think the core problem is that the accounting profession typically doesn't have a very high level of self-esteem. And because we don't have this self-esteem, you know, when someone asks us at a dinner party, so what is it you do? <coughs> I'm an accountant. We hope they didn't know. <laughs> we move on. We try and get the conversation, move on. Off. We're almost embarrassed about the damn thing. <laughs> you know, why should that be? And, and the problem that that low self-esteem leads to is when we're sitting down with a client and we have the conversation, we get to the point in the conversation about how much it's going to cost, and we come up with a figure, let's say, and they go, how much? Because of our low self-esteem, we just immediately crash and burn. We just, oh, oh let, me, let me work it out again, or I can sharpen my pencil, or, or we reduce the price. You know, we crash and burn. What ends up happening because of that low self-esteem is that most accountants charge too little for most things. And the consequence of charging too little is, is fundamental and fundamentally damaging. It leads to one of, at least one, and probably all three of three types of compromises. You either are forced to compromise your income level. You settle for earning less money because you're charging, you're not charging enough, your fees are small. So you either compromise your entire, your family's entire financial future, some accountants go that route, or because you're not willing to go that route, if you can't make a good enough living in 40-hour week, you work a 70-hour one, so you've compromised your work-life balance to make up for the fact that per hour you're not earning enough. I wouldn't suggest charging by the hour, but if you do the mass per hour, you're not on average earning enough, so you compromise your work-life balance in order to make up for the gap. So either you're compromising your income or you're compromising your health, your happiness, your family connections, your family time, your, your free time, your hobbies, and so on. Or the third compromise that accountants often make is, okay, if I can't, you know, if, if they're only willing to pay me half or, or a fraction of what the fee should be, obviously at that lower fee, I can only do a bit of the bare minimum service. None of this personal balance sheet. I haven't got time for a personal balance sheet, for example. I haven't got time to advise them on improving their profits or rolling forward a set of financial forecasts. Or in fact, I haven't got time to do anything other than the statutorily required minimum to file their accounts and tax details and so on. So that's what I'll do because that's all they're paying me for. And, and so we compromise the service levels. We're not genuinely proactive. We don't genuinely, we're not, we don't have enough time because we don't have enough budget, because we don't have enough fee to do a great job. We do you know, an, an adequate job. And because we do an adequate job, we don't, we don't attract more of the great kind of clients that want a great accountant doing great work. So, and those, so we, we, we end up getting this downward spiral of you know, clients who only come to us because we charge a little, they recommend other people who come to us because we charge a little. We do less and less work. We attract less and less attractive people. It's a, it's a vicious downward spiral. I'm sort of waving my hands around symbolizing spirals. I recognize that you can't see that, but, um, but I think everybody gets the point. In contrast, when an accountant really starts to focus on helping their clients Really, the, the, the process that I've learned, and if I go back and tell you a little bit more about my journey, I did two degrees in economics. I loved economics. In fact, in truth, I would have become a professional economist if there were any jobs for professional economists in the small, mar the small mining town in, in Yorkshire, England, where I was getting married, and that's where my wife lived, and that's where we were going to live. Inevitably, there were no economist jobs there, so I became an accountant instead. Turns out, though, that Almost everything I learned as an economist back then was a waste of time because economics has moved on. Economics used to assume that businesses and people made rational decisions. You've got this rational decision-making, optimizing <laughs> equilibrium uh, economics. Who came up with that idea? Well, that was the dominant model for hundreds of years until very, very recently. And Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize for Economics 
for basically working out what was patently obvious, which is most of the time, most of us don't behave rationally. Most of our decisions are not driven by rational analysis. There's a whole load of other, what they call fast thinking, you know, instant reaction, knee-jerk, uh, habit-driven, all manner of other suboptimal decision-making processes. Now, that kind of suboptimal decision-making is absolutely fine over the choice of, the, of which beer I'm going to drink this evening. By the way, red bottles like Budweiser are more appealing. They, they, you know, they make you salivate a bit more, so you're much more likely to want to, um, to drink them, which is why most of the high-volume selling food and drink is packaged in red. You think about it. Um, so that's not necessarily rational in, an, in a sense of, is the beer any good? But actually, it's, it's what drives that decision. That's fine over the choice of beer. But when the decisions are fundamental to the entire shape of your life, as they are in business, you know, the, the, your, your profit decisions, your pricing decisions, your strategic decisions, uh, your personal finance decisions, these will shape your entire future going forward. I don't think they should be made based on the equivalent of what color, bottle is, what color is the, the label on the bottle. They should be much more data-driven. They should be much more rational than that. So we need slow and analytical, thoughtful decision-making. And really, that's where the accountants come in, because better the, the, the logical flow is this. Our job as accountants is to help our clients get better data, all that technology, cloud technology out there makes that easier than ever before, and do better analysis of that data so that we help our clients crucially make better, more analytically driven, data-driven decisions. Because when they make better decisions with our help as their finance professional, then those better decisions flow through into better results. And those better results create better lives for the people working in, running and owning those businesses, higher levels of profits, more ability to pay salaries, greater wealth being generated. And those things in turn flow through to creating a better world. So there's this natural flow and it's rooted in better data, better analysis and better decision making. It's rooted in the need to restore rationality into the decision making process. That should be the role for the accounting profession going forward. Not assuming that people make rational decisions already and therefore there's nothing we need to do. That's what the old economic model said. The new kind of economics, which is called behavioral economics because it studies how people actually behave. That's why Daniel Kahneman won his Nobel Prize for economics. Looks at you know, what people actually do. And what they actually do most of the time is they don't get the input, the advice, the support they need. And therefore they don't make rational decisions. Who else, if not the accounting profession, can step in and bridge that gap? Who else, if not the accounting profession, can help businesses get better data, do better analysis, make better decisions, create better businesses, get better results, build better lives, lead to a better world? That's our role, I think. Um, and so the personal balance sheet is one example of that, of the sort of the, the, the models, the approach, the methodology we can use to help restore rationality into the decision-making process. Another thing we can do is we can properly understand the profit model in businesses. Now, if you ask most accountants, if a client comes into most accountants and says, I'd like to improve my profits, what, what can I do? I tell you what most accountants effectively say, they draw in this deep uh, breath as if they're about, they're about to you know, share some huge words of wisdom and they say, <laughs> Well, essentially, Mr. Client, I've got Mr. Dave, all of my clients, all my role plays always involve the other person being called Dave. So stick with me describing the other person as Dave. So I'm the accountant. Well, essentially, Dave, there are two ways in which you can improve your profits. You can, pregnant pause to let the effect sink in, you can either increase your sales, 
or you can reduce your profits. Here endeth the lesson. Now, you tell me how useful that is. But it's because profits are defined as sales minus cost. That's where most accountants finish with the analysis. What we can actually do is we can drill down into the underlying model that drives profitability. We can break the profit equation of any business down into a series of components. Um, and, 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 and so I wrote a book with Mark Wickersham that takes those components and makes them really obvious and gives you step-by-step you know, -step guidance on, on how to use them. Anyone, anybody listening to this podcast can download a copy of that, but you can buy it on Amazon. Please don't. You can download a copy of that book from my website, stevepipe.com. I'm giving it away for free. In fact, I'm giving away all the books I've written to the extent that I own the, I'm able to do that IP-wise, as long as I don't have an, an annoying publisher in the way that prevents me. But you know, to the extent that I can, all of the books I've written, all of the work I've done, all the research I've, I've identified, I'm now giving away for free with no expectation of anything in return. And there is a book that sets out that profit how you can take any any business break its profit equation down into the component parts and then how you can start working with the clients around those component parts to help them start discovering or at least imagining and testing ideas to try and make things better and if if they get better results they build that test into the business model and if they don't they try something else and that, that iterative process with your help and guidance moves way beyond sale, profits or sales minus costs into something much more useful and practical. So there's the second thing that I think every accountant should do is understand how to put together the profit model in business. And you know, they can download my book and do that. The first thing is the personal balance sheet and financial projections. The third thing I think every and any accountant should do is given that we've got this need to restore rationality into the decision-making process, and given that that starts with better data and better analysis that then enable better decision-making, rather than overwhelm clients with page after page or screen after screen or volume after volume of data, what the really switched-on accountants that I've seen do are, are doing is, is distilling that data down into a really manageable set of metrics. Now, uh, in, in the UK, we've, we've called that a one-page plan. Literally on one piece of paper, it'll be A4 paper here or the equivalent, you know, a piece of paper that's a, a, the standard work. Yeah, eight and a half by 11 for us. Sorry? It, ours is eight and a half by 11. Eight and a half by 11. So that size of paper is almost identical. So an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. Imagine if there was one eight and a half by 11 piece of paper on which every key bit of information that the business needed to make better decisions and create a better future for itself, sapped. And, and yes, you can do that on, you know, there are now increasingly digital tools, cloud-based dashboarding tools that make that possible. But really what you need behind that, that's some great technology, but you actually need the thought processes to identify what is it that we need to focus on and measure. Go back to this idea of breaking the profit equation down into the its six or seven components. Each of those six or seven components should be on the one-page plan on that scorecard because these are the things that are driving the profitability of the business. And there are other things you should be putting on there as well. But bringing clarity and simplicity to the data so that the clients are in a better position to make decisions and understand what they're doing, understand what's happening, understand what their options are, understand the implications, the effects of the decisions they make so they can unmake them or make different ones, better ones going forward if needs be. So that's the that's the third area that I think accountants really need to focus on to be more valuable. 
um, I'll, get, I'll come back to the, 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 the final one, which is actually the one I'm most passionate about, which is turning your business into a force for good and creating an impact scorecard. Uh, we'll come back to that if you'd like us to, but I've barely drawn breath, but let me continue <laughs> if you don't mind, because I, I, I'm, I'm so, so my, if you remember the starting point for my analysis of the situation was that accountants don't have enough self-esteem, that our self-esteem as a profession is too low. We don't believe in our value. We don't believe enough in the difference we can make. And therefore, we're in that syndrome when they ask us at a dinner party, what are you? I'm an accountant. Hope they didn't notice that we can move on sort of thing. There's an embarrassment. There's an apology almost for being one. Or we use words like, I'm only an accountant. For goodness sake, you're an accountant. You're not only an accountant. Accountant is quite enough, thank you. That's an awesome thing to be. Um, the problem was that most accountants didn't believe that. Most accountants didn't, don't, didn't understand the power at their fingertips, the power that they have in their skill set, in their client base, in the trusted relationship they have to change lives. So I spent two years researching the impact that accountants were having, and that resulted in a book called The World's Most Inspiring Accountants. And that book was just full of 40 or 50 case studies, 40 or 50 firms of accountants from every continent on the world, apart from the ones that are full of snow and no people, uh, but from every continent in the world. Um, and each one of those was the, sto was the story of how each of those 50 accountants had made a profound difference to the business or life or future or happiness of a client. So there were 50 examples, 50 powerful, practical, relatable examples of the profoundly positive difference that accountants are already having. And when, when any accountant reads that book, which again, they can have for free and again, buy it for a fortune on Amazon, please don't just download it from my website um, for free. Um, the, when any accountant reads that book, they go, well, I could do that. I could do that. We're already doing that. I never really realized quite how significant that was because what we've got are story after story after story of clients effectively saying, these guys changed my life. But they changed my life by doing really, often really simple, really routine things like, for example, the personal balance sheet that I did for, for my dad. That was a really incredibly simple thing. Like you know, restoring order where there was chaos in, in, in someone's accounting record. So there was one of the stories where the business owner was in such a mess because of bits of paper everywhere and they didn't really understand what was happening in the business, certainly didn't have a finger on the pulse of the numbers. They felt out of control and, in fact, they were. But just by putting in you know, QuickBooks Online and making a few changes around that and, and you know, bringing clarity and, and cutting through the confusion, giving the business owner control again, a sense of control, their whole frame of mind, their whole you know, being at ease with themselves, their whole ability to make better decisions, uncluttered by the mess, totally transformed. And you know, little by little, they lifted themselves up and created a great future themselves. There was story after story after story like that, which every, bit, every accountant who reads the book can go, I can do that. In fact, one of the reviews on Amazon was, well, this isn't that inspiring. This is what every accountant does. That's my exact point. That's the point. Every accountant does things which when an accountant thinks that they go, oh yeah, but that was only, you know, putting in QuickBooks online, or that was only producing the spreadsheet. But actually from the client's point of view, was flipping fantastic. That has restored clarity, given me control, given me back time, made me feel happier, you know, reconnected with my kids or whatever it's done, whatever the, the impact is. So th there's a book there and, and one of the strategies that um that people can have for free, one one of the strategies that some firms have used is they've just They've sat down every day for a month and just read at the beginning of the day one of those stories collectively as a team. 
or they've each read a story and then one person in the team has summarized the story that they've read that day. Just so that we begin as a profession, as teams, as individuals, as firms, to understand that we have the ability to change lives. And just by doing what we normally do as accountants, just by using our core skills, whether that's you know personal balance sheets, whether that's bringing together the key numbers so that people can make better decisions, whether that's understanding the profit model and helping businesses make um, better decisions around that to drive out their profits, whether it's just restoring rationality to the decision-making process through better data, better analysis, and better decisions, we have the ability to change lives. And once we understand that, then when a client says to us, when we quote $3,000, let's say, how much? We're able to confidently look them in the eye and defend that figure because we know it's worth every penny. Whereas at the moment, because we don't believe it's worth 3,000, because we don't believe we're worth 3,000 or whatever the fee is, the first time they challenge it, we just usually collapse the price. We collapse the price. And then we're in that vicious downward spiral, as we said before, where we're compromising income or work-life balance or service levels, and it gets worse. Whereas on the other hand, if we focus on doing the sorts of stuff we've been talking about, we attract better clients who pay us bigger fees, and therefore we have more money to do an even better job. And because we're doing an even better job, we attract even better clients who pay us even bigger fees. And the virtuous upward spiral is incredible. It's a simple choice. Essentially, accountants face a binary choice. Those are the two futures. They either go on that downward spiral or the upwards one. It's a choice. Mm -hmm. And no accountant can blame anybody else for the choice that they make. They make that choice themselves, and then either they follow through or they were kidding themselves. You know, if they choose to go on the upward spiral, then they have to follow through by taking the actions that put you and keep you on the upward spiral. You can't just say that your prices are $3,000 a month, but not have the value to back it up. Uh, absolutely. So then you've, you've, got to, you've got to focus on identifying what it is that clients want. You've got to identify on, you know, you've got to focus on the right kind of questions, the right kind of analysis, the right kind of language to use when we're asking those questions, when we're drilling down to find the answers when we're explaining our solutions and crucially when we're explaining the price, the right kind of language and process to use there um, so that we are much, so they are much more likely to understand and to say yes. I love this. There's so much in here. The, the pieces I was making notes as we were going along and the pieces that really stick out to me because there's a fundamental disconnect as I see it between when accountants and CPAs start out in the profession and they're doing tax audit compliance work compared to where the real value is, not just in making good money in your business, but where the real value is according to your clients, which is very much in the better analysis, the better understanding, the simplifying what clients are looking at, right? They do not have the level of fluency in the numbers that you do. Yeah. You've got to figure out a way to be simple, right? It's like the professor who's teaching, you know, third or fourth level calculus who is so smart, but not smart enough to be able to simplify it for the student. Yeah, it's exactly that. And we all know what we think about that professor, don't we? Right? Yeah. Lovely, bumbling fool, but you know. Right. Yeah. A brain. It's like a mind walking around using a body as a vehicle and, and nothing else, right? It's like, yeah. you've got to show up as a whole person and under, be smart enough to understand what your client needs in the most simple of terms and give it to them at the level that they are able to learn it at. And if you talk above them, that is classic. That's a classic way to put somebody off and have them walk out the door with the tail between their legs being like, oh God, I didn't understand it again. And they equate meeting with their CPA with going to the dentist. 
because nobody wants to feel like a dodo for not understanding their numbers in their business, especially when they're 10 years in making six or seven figures and still not understanding it because every time they try and understand it, they don't get a person who can talk to them in basic English. Yeah. Now, there's this crucial distinction between, I mean, it really should be our responsibility to make sure we are understood. But as, an, as a profession, we often think it's their job to understand. It's not. It's our responsibility <laughs> no. to make sure we're understood. Yeah. And it's impossible to understand because far be it for me to be, but CPAs do crazy town math. It is not the, how the rest of us do math, right? We mm -hmm. were taught way to do math in third grade and it's pretty simple and straightforward and there's this whole debits and credits things that regular business owners do not have their the time to wrap their brains around and nor do they understand the way the irs speaks english because that is a different language unto itself right so you put the two together and business owners are just like they they show up and the minute you say something like debits and credits they just glaze over and they mm -hmm. check out and that's yeah, yeah. it you've lost your chance so there's this piece that I haven't had the chance yet to dive into, but it's in the sort of training and education of CPAs to shift what they are being taught so that they can be taught where clients find value. So that as CPAs, not only do we, of course we need compliance, we need audit, da, 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 but there's a gaping hole in the support of small business owners, which is so many business owners, right? The vast majority of these small micro businesses who have little to no financial literacy or support or somebody they can go to to help them understand the basics yeah. of yeah. how to understand their business financials, how money flows into the business, out of the business and into their family, and then add it to their other spouse's income if there is a second income and how that money flows through the expenses of the family and then out the other side and hopefully, you know, saving for retirement the whole bit. No, but there's, there's nobody that exists right now as a profession. Yeah. Yeah, and this yeah. is the opportunity that I see for CPAs if there's interest in reforming it, which is, you know, like tall order here, but to really help business owners understand the complete picture, which is what you're talking about, what you did for your dad understand the complete picture of the business. He was an employee, but understand the complete picture of the mm -hmm. business plus the family financials and put it all together and partner with a financial advisor, retirement type person to help lay out the path for the next 40 years until you're 95 so that it all adds up. You are absolutely right in everything you say. If I just to, to underline a couple of those points there about our job is to is to bring clarity and simplicity and focus on the right things, the right data, the right analysis, so that the right and better decisions are made for sure. And I've talked about some really easy but relatively sexy stuff. You know, sexy and you know, understanding a profit model and improving a business's profit is sort of sexy in inverted commas. Um, but if we look at something really, really routine like a core set of accounts, profit and loss account, balance sheet, cash flow forecasts, um, you know, fundamental, routine, central, everywhere. What was really interesting to me um, about 30 years ago when I started in practice was that at that point, the highest selling, there's a, a company in the UK that, that produced training videos for businesses. And they told me that the, by far and away the highest training, uh, selling training video that they had ever created, it, it was years old and it was still selling, outselling everything else, was called the balance sheet barrier. And that, that was essentially finance for non-financials, non-financial people. It featured John Cleese, it made it lighthearted, but essentially explained <laughs> in really simple terms business finance, business accounts. I was then asked to do a, to write a, um, 
TV series in the UK called Easy Money, which was an eight-part BBC TV series that focused on the same sort of stuff. Uh, that went down extraordinarily well. In my accounting practice, therefore, I drew on the same set of ideas, and I wrote a guide. So at that point, I had two, I had a number of publications, one of which was the profit focus thing that I talked about before, which ultimately became a book. But actually, the one that my clients liked even more was called Accounts Made Easy. And it was basically just a de-jargonization on a set of accounts. It, 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 it took words like accruals and prepayments and depreciation and made them understandable. And it used metaphors and things to make help someone in 10, 12 pages in really simple language, made them understandable. So that was you know, actually even more valuable to my clients than the profit model stuff that I, I looked at them with. And But obviously it was a starting point because you've got to get there first and you could build progressively through the other things. Then when I ran my 40-person consulting business, which just worked with accountants, and one of the things we did for accountants was we created a set of tools so they could run a, a monthly business club. Each, each, business, each one of these monthly meetings had a 45-minute presentation around a core business issue like pricing for profits or you know, improve, improving client, uh, employee motivation or leadership skills or sensational service or whatever. 40 of these topics, really wide-ranging, none of them were on tax, by the way, but, um, but they were all on you know, uh, real issues. Um, by far and away, the one that got the best feedback over and over and again when I ran it, but also when hundreds of firms of accountants ran these things with their clients, was the, the same sort of work. Was, there was one called How to Understand the Numbers in Your Accounts. Now, we thought when we produced that, that was deadly dull. Why don't these people know it already? They're badly bored to board rigid listening to 45 minutes on how to understand the numbers in the accounts, given that we've got all this other sexy stuff, how to get more referrals, you know, how to understand the numbers in your accounts was the most valuable of the lot, Steve. Thank you so much. So, you know, again, we run the risk of not understanding the, the value that we can bring. We assume that they, that they won't find that particularly valuable or they understand it already. In fact, neither of those two things are true. They will find it massively valuable because they don't understand it well enough already. So if we just, one of the things we do is focus on bringing clarity and simplicity into everything we do, helping them get clarity through simplicity, then they will thank us forever for doing that. Whereas if we mystify, if we confuse, if we hide behind complexity, if we hide behind, you know, um, technical definitions and, you know, and, and legalese kind of language or, you know, the, the, the wording that they put in the, you know, the general accepted accounting principles or whatever, no one else cares. No one else. So we shouldn't do that. It doesn't, it's not helpful. It's not helpful. I'm not, I'm not suggesting for one minute that the things accountants have always done, producing a great set of accounts, you know, in a timely fashion and filing appropriately with the tax authorities aren't absolutely the right things to do. Of course they are. Aren't absolutely valuable to the clients. Yes, of course they are. Will not, they will continue to have a future. There will continue to be fees there. But really our power, the exciting opportunity for accountants is to, is to use those as the starting point, to use the relationship we forge through that kind of work to help the clients in other ways as well for significantly higher levels of fees and profits most probably and certainly for significantly higher level of reward emotional reward and the joy that we get of seeing someone and i got no fee whatsoever for helping my dad retire and therefore live 15 more years with my mum. i got no fee but i can tell you that the joy that i got from that the emotional reward was greater than any fee could possibly have been 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And when I help some of my clients who have six figure businesses, but who are knee deep in credit card debt, help them understand and get a handle on their business and their income and develop a plan to pay off their credit card debt inside 24 months. It is like the weight of the world has lifted off their shoulders and there's no amount of money that you could pay me that would replace the feeling of satisfaction that I get from helping a person finally feel the sense of relief from the the deep nagging anxiety that's been dogging them for years. Yeah. And at a really practical level, when you help someone sort out their finances, they are actually not only willing, but able to pay you bigger fees. You know, previously they might have been willing, but not able because their finances were in the mess, or they might not have been even willing because they didn't understand the value you can bring. But, but actually by doing this kind of stuff, they'll be willing and able. Suddenly their cash flow frees up. Yeah. And they have more for you. And, and actually that leads nicely into the final area that I think accountants can help with, because as we help our own business become more successful and as we help our clients become more successful, whatever their definition of success is, and that's not having a million dollars in the bank for everybody, for sure, and it might not necessarily be for anybody, but we're all going to have our own definitions of success. We're all going to have our own, uh, our own set of values and goals and aspirations and things we'd like to achieve. But I'm also pretty sure that all of us want to do good work. All of us want to make a positive impact on the world, want to leave a positive legacy, want want to be remembered for the good that we did in the world, the difference that we made, the help that we gave, um, the kindness that we showed. And, And that's also made possible, it's even more possible, the more successful we are, the more financially successful we are, the more able we are, to give to charities or the more able we are to step back from our work because there's enough money in the bank already and actually get involved one-to-one in projects or charities or causes or movements that we care about. And the more able we are to plant trees to tackle climate change, the more able we are to help feed the homeless to you know, tackle that problem and, and, and so on and so forth. So success goes hand in hand with that. But actually, what, the other thing that I think that I have learned and the other area that I would encourage accountants to focus on is not to wait for success, for more success in order to do those things. Not to wait for more success in order to be the person you want to be. Not to wait for more success in order to to live up to the values that your family gave you when they were raising you, the things that you believe in. Not to, to wait for more success, but actually start now. Because the extraordinary thing is that wherever now is, however much or little there is in the bank account now in the business, however financially successful or not the business is, there is still something that every single business in the world can do. You know, let's say there's a, a coffee shop that's just starting out. At the moment, it's got, you know, it's actually got debt because it's bought the lease and equipment and, and hired people, hasn't sold any cups of coffee yet. So it's actually, its financial position is, you know, is not strong, but it nevertheless has a vision uh, you know, a, a desire to create a successful business, but it also the people in that business, and I mean both the owners and the team members, have a set of values that say, you know, it's our job as human beings to do good in the world. Um, so what if that business actually built from the beginning, that coffee shop built from the beginning into its systems, its cultures, its habits, doing good? And what if it did that and, and was able to do that because it would just cost it one cent, one US cent? So let's say, for example, that there are two coffee shops. There's this one we're talking about, and next to it, there's an identical coffee shop on the, on the parade of shops. 
and you're standing outside these two coffee shops and you have a choice of which one to go in. The coffee shop on the left-hand side serves great coffee in a nice environment with nice people. And the cup of coffee is $2, $3, whatever the going rate is, it's that. Let's say $2. The coffee shop next door serves identical coffee. It's got identically nice people. It's got identical furniture. It's got identical coffee beans. It's an identical price. It's also $2. They're literally next door to each other, so they're identically convenient. You're standing outside the two coffee shops. Well, at the moment, there's absolutely no reason to choose between them as such. But imagine now that the coffee shop on the right, even though it's only just started out, and even though it's still not got any money in the bank to speak of, makes a decision that it's going to be, that, that that coffee shop is going to be a force for good in the world. It's going to be a business for good. It's going to build into its systems the same kindness that the people working in that business have showing you know, when they're at home, when they're with their family, when they're in the rest of their life. And it does that by, by saying, every time you buy a cup of coffee for us for two cents, then as well as you getting your cup of coffee or any hot drink that you buy from us, every time you buy a cup of coffee, as well as you getting that, you'll also be the, the cup of coffee will also fund a young girl in Africa to get access to clean water for a day in the village. That way, the young girl won't need to keep walking to and fro a distant well, which basically takes hours in order to bring water back to the village from a distant well, which basically means those hours mean that she can't go to school. She doesn't get an education and she doesn't lift herself up. But because your coffee is funding a well in the village, then that young girl will not have to do the walking. She gets clean, safe water in the village. Therefore, she has time for an education. Therefore, she's able to lift her life up and her future for her and her children and her family, all because you had that cup of coffee. Now, if you that's the choice between a cup of coffee that just gives you a drink and a cup of coffee that gives you the same drink for the same money and changes a life, which coffee shop would you go into? Now, that's a rhetorical question. Everyone listening to this can answer it. But when I've asked that question in front of audiences of thousands, you know, 99% of people say the coffee shop on the right, the coffee shop where they're changing a life as well as, um, as well as just selling coffee. Now, if you translate that into a queue, the coffee shop on the left is empty and the coffee shop on the right has got a massive queue. Realistically, what it means is the coffee shop on the right sells more coffee. So actually, the cost of funding one day's worth of water for a child in Africa it can be less than one cent. So out of the $2 that the business is earning for the selling the coffee, and it's now selling a lot more cups of coffee, it invests, it gives, it chooses strategically to give away one cent to fund one day's worth of uh, water for that child. But in the process, not only is it changing by providing thousands of, uh, thousands of days worth of access to water, changing many children's lives, but it's also selling many more cups of coffee. It's also building a much more successful business than the one next door that isn't doing this. It's also engaging with its team so much more because the people in the team, the baristas, will want to sell more cups of coffee because now they're not just lining the pockets of the business owner, but they're changing lives. And millennials and centennials really want to have purpose in their work. They really want to do things that make a difference. There's study after study after study that screams this out. So you get a much more engaged, much more motivated team who work harder to, to, to deliver better service and sell more cups of coffee for you. So your business becomes massively more successful. And along the way, you're giving, you're giving away lots of one cent in days of access to water, but that's a tiny amount compared to the increase in sales and profits and success that that shop that coffee shop gets. So even at the beginning, even when the business is struggling, even when there's not much money in the business in, in the bank, 
even then, every business in the world, even a business as simple as a coffee shop, can become can use its business as a force for good in a way that both makes the world better and makes the business more successful. And that, for me, is the final area that accountants could be should be helping with because nobody else is telling. You go back to rational decision making. Of those two coffee shops, rationally as the business owner, which of those two coffee shops should you model your business on? The one on the left with practically nobody going there because it doesn't have purpose in the same way as the coffee shop on the right does. Or the coffee shop on the right that does have purpose, has an engaged team, sells more coffee and makes more money. If you just make a rational decision as an accountant, which one of those should you model your, your business, even if you're not a coffee shop on, if you're an accounting firm or a retailer or a manufacturer or a service business, there's one model that works screamingly better than the other. And yet no one's telling businesses to do this. So actually sharing those ideas and helping businesses to, to build that kind of process into their businesses is another wonderful opportunity for accountants. And the way to think, and there's a really, really simple process. I can explain it in about 30 seconds to you. The, the process is this. Have a piece of paper with two columns, you know, split down the middle either side. The left-hand column is, you write in the left-hand column, what are the things that you want to happen more frequently in your business? You want to sell more cups of coffee now, example, but you want to win more customers, generate more sales leads, get more referrals, get paid on time more often, sell more stuff. So there's five. Treat those as triggers. And then for each of those triggers, you decide... Okay, when that happens, what, are we, what lovely act of kindness are we going to make happen in the world? The, the equivalent of the day's worth of water. Now, you can feed a homeless American for 11 US cents. I mean, I find that staggering. But there's, there's, a, there's a, a project um, called uh, rescuefood.org, I think it's its name. Basically, they rescue food from restaurants that would otherwise be thrown away, but it's still perfectly edible. They have volunteers to rescue it, and they recycle it to the homeless. The net cost of doing so is one is 11 cents for a for a meal. So you could actually feed, you could provide a week's worth of meals for a dollar fifty or something to a homeless person. And if you're selling a big ticket thousand dollar item, just imagine the story that you're able to tell if you've chosen that every time we sell one of these big ticket thousand dollar items, a homeless American gets fed for a week. Actually, you know, I'm just choosing homeless American as an example. It could be, it could be, you know, you provide a, a young child in, in, in Africa with vitamin A supplements, which help prevent child blindness. That's one cent a day. That's 30 cents a week. That's, you know, $3 a year. You can prevent child blindness for $3 a year or one cent a day. You take your pick as to what unit a day, a week, a month, a year you choose. But for every budget, there is an act of kindness that you can link to the trigger. And then you then focus the business, not on, you focus the people in the business, not on selling more cups of coffee, but on helping more young girls get access to clean water and therefore education and therefore a better life. Let's say you set a target of, we want to provide a million days of help to, to young girls in, in Africa with a coffee shop. Now, backstage, underneath the surface, as it were, in order to provide a million days of help, we've obviously got to sell a million cups of coffee, but we focus not on selling a million cups of coffee, but on providing a million days of help. Then the focus is on that impact goal which is so much more motivating. And if I work in a coffee shop, I'm probably not going to care less about a target of selling a million cups of coffee. So what? Why would I care? How does it help me? But a million days of help to young girls that changes their life forever. I care about that. I'm going to actually want to sell cups of coffee. And therefore, the business achieves its goal in the process of, of the world becoming better at the same time. 
Now, that's a simple process that, that accountants can master in two hours and you know, within a day can be shown with their clients. And they can actually be you know, earning fees for doing that. You can have sections of, there's a profitable service to be earned by helping businesses become businesses for good. And that's what I was saying. We don't have to wait until the business is successful. We don't have to wait to do that stuff in our own businesses until we're successful. We can do it now. And in fact, now is the only time you'll ever... If anybody's listening to this and thinks that's a great idea, I'll do it tomorrow. I guarantee they will not do it tomorrow or any other day. If they don't actually start now or make some you know, binding commitment or take some binding first step now, they will never do it again. It will just be one of those, yeah, that was a nice idea. Yeah, I'll get onto that one day. And we all know those things. We just push them off and push them off and push them off, and they never happen because tomorrow never comes. There is only today. Today is when we need to do stuff. And stuff is as simple and easy and powerful and profoundly important as this stuff, then boy, should we be doing it today. Well, it's no longer enough to simply operate your business for profit for yourself. That just isn't the model that, like you say, the millennials and the centennials, I didn't know they had a new nickname or the name of the next generation, but they're not satisfied with simply making a business, making a profit, and that's it. Call it a day and go do your thing. They get the gravity of the problems that we face as a planet and as a society, and they get the climate crisis. They see it coming, and they're not just going to sit on their hands and collect a paycheck at the end of the week from their company and think that that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, go back to the, the millennials and centennials, they get it. Unfortunately, they're not predominantly the decision makers in accounting firms or many clients. Increasingly, obviously, that's changing. They will be the future of accounting firms and the future clients, overwhelmingly, of course. And so what matters to them should really matters to the future of the business as well. But at the moment, we've got an older generation of decision makers who don't get it quite as clearly. That's why I try to paint that picture of those two coffee shops as clearly as I could. Truthfully, rationally, could any accountant, any rational decision maker, let alone an accountant who lives by facts, look at that, those, those two coffee shops and say, I'm not going to be the coffee shop on the right because although it will engage its people more and although it will sell more coffees and although it will make the world a better place and although the business owner will make more money and have more joy and look at themselves in the mirror every morning and feel more proud, I'm going to be the business on the left because I don't give a monkey's because I can't be bothered to be anything else. So not because I don't give a monkey's, because I can't be bothered to do anything else. That It's a simple binary choice. And anybody listening to this who doesn't make that binary choice well, I don't think should be an accountant, shouldn't be a profession of any kind, shouldn't be in business in any kind, shouldn't be making any kinds of decisions because it's crystal clear which is the right decision. And yet, some people listening to this will still, by default, be the business on the left. Most of the people listening to this will, by default, be the business on the left until for the next, who knows, three months, nine months, at some point, but for a period of time, until they enough pieces click for them and they go, oh, Right until they somehow they need to have a series of checkboxes. We don't know. I don't know what yeah. those checkboxes are off yeah. the top of my head, but probably increased profitability. They need to have certain expenses in their life covered. Maybe they you know still have two kids in college, or maybe they have medical bills and they need to pay off, or maybe they're not convinced yet of the data because they haven't seen enough studies yet, or they haven't seen it done. They haven't seen a live example. You know whatever their checkboxes are, they haven't been checked yet. But in time, 
work on, you know, their boxes will get checked and they'll go, oh yeah, it should be a coffee shop on the right. I, I'm sure all of those, all of those are reasons why people will stay on the left. And let's, and I use left and right very deliberately because the left businesses will ultimately get left behind and the businesses on the right are on the right because they're doing the right thing. Um, yeah. There was one set of excuses in there, which I do not accept. I understand that people will use it as an excuse, but that's all it is. It's an excuse. And that's financial. I can't afford to do it now. I'll wait until I can afford. That's why in my example, that business had no money whatsoever. If the coffee shop on the right had said, I'll, I'll be like the coffee shop on the left until I can afford to do it differently, they'd have still been the coffee shop on the left. They'd have still had no sales. And someone else would have come in and got all the sales and their business would have continued to struggle. Is there any accounting firm in the whole of the US when it wins a client couldn't afford less than the price of a stamp to celebrate that fact, but not only to celebrate it, but also to have a story to tell in the marketplace so that socially minded businesses come to them and join them as clients because when they become join them as clients, children in Africa, lives are lifted up. You know, the, 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 the rational argument there is overwhelming and I can't afford it is just a fallacious reason for not doing it. There are lots of other reasons because there is no accounting firm in the UK that can't afford 30 cents when it wins a $100,000, $500,000 client. There's so I don't disagree with you, right? And back where we started was people do not always make rational decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Uh, that's the frustration of life. I mean, surely <laughs> accountants of all people should make rational decisions. It's and the business case is overwhelming, right? There's actual data to support the fact that your business will grow by 43% or what have you when you include social good in your mission. But accountants are conservative by nature. I know you and I believe exactly the same things. I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm trying to galvanize action, trying to get a reaction from your listeners. More, and by that, I mean I'm trying to get action from yeah. your listeners, not to, put, not to wait until a better day. The better day will only come if we make it, and we make it by taking action straight away. So my listeners and my clients will be working on this because it is a necessity if we want to be inhabiting the planet in the way that we are right now in two generations from now, if we don't do this, we are a host, right? So for me, the motivation is I want my kiddos to be happy and excited to have kiddos, not terrified of, Oh my God, what am I bringing into the world? What kind of experience of life are they going to have? Right? So we all have our different motivations and this is a model that makes it a no brainer for people. So why don't you take us to B1G1 and the UN 17 goals, and then we'll kind of complete it there. Yeah, you're right, Joey. So I made a decision having sold uh, the 40-person the business to the management team uh, on my 50th birthday, uh, which was eight years ago. Um, and having been involved in trying to understand what it takes to be a business good for 12 years and doing my best for 12 years, and, and we've, we've, in my little business, um, we've managed to create... Um, 17 million impact, 17 large, 16, 17 million days worth of help around the world, just as a byproduct of what the business does, which is an extraordinary thought. Um, but I made I made a decision decision that rather than looking to sell my time and sell my books and and sell my ideas and sell the stuff that I created, I would start giving those away um, completely for free to accountants and to businesses. Um, you can download them from my website. And everything I create going forward will be available free of charge as well. And I did that because it's my way of, of trying to step up and play my part in helping tackle the UN Global Goals. Back in September 2015, every civilized country in the world got together through the UN and agree, agreed a set of 17 goals. 
17 goals that have to be achieved by 2030. So that, that was uh, 15 years after they started. We're now five years into that process. We only have 10 years left to achieve those goals. Um, and when they were launched, there were various uh, business leaders as well as global leaders there, including Sir Richard Branson. And Richard Branson said then, you know, governments can't do this on their own. You know, businesses have to step up. Businesses have a huge role to play. Now, large businesses, to, to a greater or lesser extent, get that. They all at least pay lip service to it. You know, you won't find any of the largest 100 businesses in the States that, that don't mention, I suspect, I've not actually tested this, but the few I have looked at, that don't mention um, the UN Global Goals or Sustainable Development Goals, as they're often referred to, somewhere on their website. They'll have some kind of goals and vision and mission around it, even if that's just paying lip service, and it often is. The big accounting firms, the big four accounting firms, actually have whole teams of consultants helping businesses do something about those, those UN Global Goals. The challenge I saw was that for small businesses, smaller businesses and smaller accounting firms, there was no one really encouraging them. There was no one really equipping them. There was no one really helping them to step up and do something. So that's really why I decided to give away all my time and intellectual property to create processes, to create tools, to create step-by-step checklists so that any business anywhere in the world, no matter what it does, no matter where it's based, no matter how big it is, no matter how old it is, no matter what it sells, um, any and every business in the world can become a business for good, can use what it does as a force for good, can identify triggers like every time we sell something or every time we get paid or every time we receive a lead or every time we get a testimonial. They can use those as triggers to make something good happen in the world. That something good could cost them from as little as one US cent, so a completely inconsequential expense, but it's extraordinary what that inconsequential amount of money can do especially if we take the focus away from the amount of money we don't set goals around well we're going to we're aiming to give $10,000 or $1,000 or $100 but actually if instead we set goals around the number of impacts the difference that we're trying to make the number of trees we want to see planted or the number of days of access to clean water or education or the number of homeless americans we want to provide meals to or whatever and then we can set goals and targets around those things the story that we then have to tell is so much more compelling you know this the, the, the coffee shop, sure, if the coffee shop had said, coffee shop on the right had said, for every cup of coffee, we give one cent to charity, everyone would have gone, oh, who cares? You know, so what? That's mean. That's a stingy thing to do. And not, <laughs> not quite, you know, it's such a small amount that it would not have impressed. It would not yeah. have had impact. Yeah. But the story, it, it costs one cent to fund a day's worth of water, but then being able to tell the story of how you change a young girl's life just because you bought that cup of coffee, emotionally, is fundamentally different, is, is fundamentally more compelling, is fundamentally more engaging. So small businesses can focus their, the stories that they tell, i.e. The, the, the words, what people say about them in the marketplace, what they say themselves in the marketplace, around the impacts that they're creating, the good that they're doing, not the very small amounts of money that it costs to do those things. And therefore, every small business can do this, every small business, I believe, can do this. And my role, because I've chosen it as my role, is to help make that possible. So in the case of accountants, for example, I created a complete step-by-step guide called um, Get and Give a Million. And that is specifically for accountants. It's everything that an accountant needs to do in order to win new clients and service its existing clients better, but win those clients and service clients around improving their profitability, the profit model stuff we talked about before, and then sharing a tiny amount of the extra fees that they earn through those extra clients and new work 
by making the world a better place by maybe funding water or food for the homeless or planting trees or whatever other act of kindness they choose to link it to. So that not only do they help their clients become more successful and get more money in their business and personal bank accounts, but they also put more money in their own bank accounts as practitioners because they're earning bigger fees and winning better clients. And they make the world a better place as that triple whammy. They make the world a better place because they're planting trees or feeding the homeless or uh, providing water to young girls. When we can align those three things together, and that's what that system tries to do and gives you step-by-step guidance, you can download it for free from our website, stevepipe.com, and take it and adapt it in any way you choose. Any of your listeners can get that. They can take it and adapt it in any way they choose. It's incredibly easy. It's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly joyful. Steve, I love what you are creating with the energy, the kindness, the caring that you are putting out into the world, not just for CPAs, but for all business owners. What's the very next thing that listeners need to do to get on this path? Well, probably the easiest thing, and, and I'll give you the link so you can put it in the show notes. Um, they can find out about B1G. I, I didn't really mention B1G, but I'm able to do all of those things that I've talked about. And businesses around the world are able to do all of those things because of a set of tools created by B1G. And the website is B1G1.com. Um, that's what I use in, a, in, in, a, in order to help me do all of those things and to measure all of those things. And it's, ex, it's extraordinarily useful. Um, one of the things that B1G1 will do for you is you answer a few simple questions on their website and it, it will create what's called a giving plan for free, which is an analysis of how you could factor this kind of thinking into your business, whatever your business does, whether that's accounting, bookkeeping, or you know anything else. Um, so that's that's a great first step. Um, so we'll, we'll put the, the, the link in the show notes, hopefully. And, and also another thing you can do is uh, go to my website and just download my stuff. Um, website is stevepipe.com. So those are two, two first steps. Um, the, the, the couple of questions I would probably leave people with to ask, you know, to ask of themselves are, and I haven't really thought them through fully, so I might get the numbering wrong and I might go back on myself, but you know, what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of person were you brought up to be? You know, what, what are the values? So reconnect with those. What, what do you really stand for? What do you really believe in? And if you really believe in things like kindness and generosity and contribution and, and love and, and words like that, then rather than them just being beliefs, those beliefs have to flow through into actions, don't they? It's not, not good enough to wait until tomorrow to do that, but we need to start doing it now. I suppose a second similar question, and this is the question I ask myself, and that question is essentially, what would my children want me to do? What would my grandchildren, what would future generations, what would my parents what would everyone I love want me to do? And it's a binary choice. And the binary choice is something or nothing. And many people, by default, with essentially what we said before, effectively choose the nothing route. But actually, we just need to step up and do something, don't we? Um, so there's been lots of practical ideas, hopefully, in, in this session. But if you answer those, those, those two questions, you know, who do you want to be? What are your values? Are you going to be true to them? You're going to do something or nothing. What would your children, what would your grandchildren or future generations, what would previous generations want you to do? I think the answer for most of us, and certainly for me, was to do something, to do more, to do everything I could. Steve, I love what you're doing. And because of this interview, the something that I will start doing by the end of this week is to get started with B1G1 and setting aside a portion of my own income in order to create the impact that I want to see in the world. 
And you've given us so much to think about and a lot to be hopeful for. Thank you so much for coming on the Epic Business Growth for CPAs podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much for humoring me as I got a bit passionate during this session. And thank you so much for believing the same things that I do. There are two things that stand out at me. The first one is, as Steve mentions, the role of CPAs as he views it. And just to touch on those at a high level, number one, restore rationality to decision-making for business owners by number two, distilling the data and clarifying and simplifying it to make it manageable so that number three, they can properly understand the model that their profitability rests on. And then number four, add giving, get and give a million, B1, G1, some kind of business for good in order to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. If you're a CPA, there are untold numbers of clients who are looking for somebody who stands out as a CPA who helps make sense of numbers and helps make sense of how to drive profitability. And the business case for making your business a force for good is a no-brainer. The numbers add up. The second piece that I think is so important is really getting a deep appreciation for the value that you as a CPA provide to your clients. When I work with my own clients and we go through their top 10 clients and for each one, we dig and dig and dig for the value that my client has provided to their client. It often amounts to hundreds of thousands of dollars in both tax savings and business growth over the span of a few years. It's quite common that for a single year, it's in the multiple tens of thousands of dollars. Sometimes it's even preventing a business, saving a business from going under. CPAs provide untold value to their clients. And sometimes they forget because it becomes so common and so routine for them. And they're so good at it that they just stop seeing it. So it's no wonder that sometimes CPAs forget the value of what they offer. And of course, confidence and self-esteem suffers as a result. So if you haven't already set aside time to quantify the value that you have provided for your top clients so that it's easy for you to remember the value that you bring to the table and the pricing that you offer is simply a fraction of that value. If you want to find out more about Steve and his work, his books, and the links that he mentioned, you can find them all at shethinksbigcoaching.com forward slash 071 to get access to all that great information. All right, everyone, that's it for me. I'll see you next week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down a 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.